Orientation Adventure, Pomona's four-day outdoors trip for incoming students, affectionately called OA, was canceled last December for almost exactly one week. On December 5th, 2018, Dean of Students Avis Hinkson sent an email to the entire student body. <laughs> yes, we, we have started podcasts like this before. She sent an email to the entire student body alerting everyone that OA as we knew it would cease to be. She instead recommended an alternative, a sophomore orientation adventure, which doesn't make sense semantically or conceptually, but that's beside the point. The interesting part is what happened next. My name is Sam Rubin. I'm a senior at Pomona. Um, I went on away my freshman year. I was an orientation adventure leader and sponsor my sophomore year, and I was an orientation adventure leader this past year. Um, since the email has come out stating that OA is going to be canceled for first years and moved to sophomore year, um, I have decided that I want to do something about this, and I've sent um, Dean Hingson an email setting up a meeting for tomorrow, Thursday, and have um, started to collect student responses for why they believe this um, decision was a bad decision and what suggestions they have for improvement. Why did you feel compelled to do that? Well, first of all, this survey went live about five minutes ago, and I'm already at nine responses. And so if that continues until I meet with her in about 12 hours, we're going to have over, we're going to have the whole student body respond. And I know that's a false statement, but I just, I feel like this decision came without any discussion with any students at all. Um, students were not contacted before this. The um, even faculty have stated that they have felt like they weren't part of this decision making. That was Sam on the very day the email was sent out. And his thought about the entire student body responding, he was kind of right. 440 students would end up responding. Keep in mind, that's over a quarter of the Pomona population. And not one person had been made aware of this decision. And we talked to the faculty, too. I've been on the committee for a long time, and, and regularly questions come up about what are we going to do about OA and its relationship to orientation, because it does seem a bit like some big mountain right in the middle of orientation that's very different than the landscape around it, right? That's Ken Wolf, 30-plus-year Pomona professor, chair of the Classics Department, and most relevant, the one faculty member on the orientation committee. This was his reaction about the news on OA. I reacted right away. Um, my, the, the subject line on my email was what? Question mark, exclamation point. Um, and, and, I, and I started rolling back in my mind thinking, I don't think we really understood what we were facing when we had our last conversation. Um, it was not a conversation that where the dean was in the room, uh, the dean of students doesn't isn't a part of the orientation committee. Um, it's made up of people who who work on her side of Alexander Hall and a few others, including a faculty member, and that's me. Um, so, for something that abrupt and different, I would have expected a little bit more presence on the part of the dean in that meeting, saying, "I really think this needs to happen." work with me on how we might come up with alternatives. Um, 
and now I now I think that there's a perception that the decision was made without significant input. So yesterday at the faculty meeting, I felt like I needed to speak because I figured people would look at me and say, you're on the orientation committee, you must have approved this, but, but that's not at all what happened. I assumed if anyone outside of the dean's office would have been involved in the decision-making around OA, it probably would have been Professor Wolf. I asked him about it, and in what I've come to learn is typical style, he answered very thoroughly. The first day of November, I guess shortly before that, we met as a committee, and one of the things we talked about, this was uh, in the context of reviewing the previous orientation, which then we, we wait a month or so, then we get started with the review process and designing the next year. And so in that review, one of the things we looked at was, you know, is there still more things we can do to shorten, to make less dense, to, and and so we looked at the possibilities of what we might do with OA, and we uh, systematically eliminated all of the ones except for what we had, and we basically said it's the one thing that is almost universally acclaimed by the students who go through it. And there's nothing else on the orientation schedule that gets even half the kind of kudos that 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 program gets. So we really need to leave it alone and work around it. Asked about student input, he also drew a blank. Um, I am not aware myself of any student input. Um, the dean of students did say that in all of her conversations with students since she's gotten here, that uh, everyone has complained about the length uh, and the exhaustion associated with um, with orientation. But I don't know if that was an official survey, if it was unofficial, anecdotal, I don't know. I'm, I am sure that students are exhausted by the time classes begin. I, but, but I believe that would happen if you gave them 24 hours orientation because they'd stay up all night. Um, and the more days they're there, the more nights they're going to stay up with their newfound friends. So I, I don't know that exhaustion is really a, a significant factor here. Um, in real terms, but but that's largely what uh, the dean, with the support of the president, um, um, believes is the driving force behind this. That they're they're doing students ultimately a favor by by uh, creating an orientation that's that's shorter that way. And so that's the weird thing about it. As best I can tell, the deans really did think that moving OA to sophomore year would be better, barring some secret ulterior motive. The decision to cancel OA really seems to be one of ignorance, not malice. It felt more like the administration trying to design their way into a solution. We've got some problems, first years are tired, oh, we, we've got another problem, sophomores are sad, oh, whoa, you just move OA from freshman to sophomore year, two problems, one solution. I mean, I can imagine where the administration was coming from. For me, the only real offense was that OA was the purview of the administration in the first place. Few people, not even most students, seem to know, but OA was not created by the college. It was created by the Student Outdoors Club, on the loose, usually just called OTL. There was no outdoor education center or orientation review committee. It was just some friends. Here's one of them. Yeah, so my name is Derek Churchill, and I uh, went to Pomona from 1990 to 19, graduated in 1994, and um, I got involved in On the Loose uh, my freshman year. So Derek and I hit it off instantly. Full disclosure, 
Like Derek, I also started helping run OTL my first year at Pomona. But that experience was largely one of frustration. We often spent so much time coordinating with the Pomona administration, other schools' clubs, or even other schools' administrations, that it took away time and energy from the club's point in the first place, getting people outside. I was so excited to talk to someone who had just made OA because they wanted to. I envisioned this halcyon age 25 years ago, where every student had the perfect work-life balance. They would all go on trips all over the state, Everybody's club would be well-attended and vibrant and successful. It would have been the perfect rejoinder to the dean's decision to cancel OA. Look, just let the students do it. They can always do it better. If only that's what Derek had actually said. On the Loose was um, uh, kind of it almost collapsed or almost sort of ran out of steam basically when I... Um, joined there was a sort of cadre of people running it they all graduated and then I with a couple other people said hey let's resurrect this out of this long tradition and so um was able to get a kind of get a lot of new people involved and worked with Dean Quinley to um sort of give the 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 club a big boost and then as part of that some students uh, a couple students under me had the idea of OA um and so that started the year after after I left and I want to pause here because what Derek basically said is the experience that we're all pretty used to. Clubs wax and wane with student interest. Things can be pretty inefficient, redundant. For a lack of better words, it's a little bit messy. But the more Derek told me about OA's origin, the more I realized the crucial role that messiness actually played. I um, went abroad my... Um, uh, you know, first semester of my junior year. And when I came back, the club was kind of basically gone. You know, there was no one left really who was that interested in running it. And, uh, and so I remember thinking, well, I don't really have the energy to like do this, you know, this, I'll just kind of let this club die. And then I remember picking up the actual book on the loose, which I hope you have read. Uh, and I remember reading it and just being, and I'd read it before, but I read it again. It was just, again, just so inspired. And, and it's still one of my favorite books. Um, and thinking, you know, I can't, I can't let this club die. And I lit up when I heard that it was the book on the loose, which convinced Derek to keep the club alive and eventually led to the formation of OA. Because that book, written by Rennie and Terry Russell over 50 years ago, remains a vital part of the club's identity. To start out, the book is an incredible exploration of California and the American West, full of essays, quotes, and beautiful photography taken in Yosemite, Point Reyes, the High Sierra, the Great Basin, Glen Canyon. But it's more than just the namesake of the club. Derek hoped that I had read it. I have my own copy. All of the leaders do. In it are page-long notes from some of my closest friends. We've read from it aloud under star-filled Joshua Tree nights. I've read it by myself, freezing, alone in my own tent. The administration is now holding open forums to discuss how best to change OA for the future. I went to the first session, and despite the best of intentions from everyone present, there was a glaring problem. Only six students actually attended. But to me, and we're going full opinion here, 
the cause is so obvious. OA has never been the product of working groups, committee reports, or learning objectives. It's propelled by ideas in students' heads. Ideas they have exploring new places, trying new things, with new friends they're just making for the first time. My unsolicited advice on how to address OA going forward? Well, don't take it from me. Derek has a couple decades more credibility. Yeah, and I'll just say one last thing that uh, I encourage the, the, the new dean, and, and I'm happy to, to write her a letter to, uh, I don't know if you have a copy, but I would take her a copy of On the Loose and say, hey, before you, you know, uh, cancel this program, you know, I'd just like you to read this book and understand kind of what, to me, has always been the spirit of, of, uh, of the, the what I think inspired lots of students at Pomona was to, just to get out ex- out outdoors and, and that sense of wonder and exploring, um, uh, you know, combined often with that sense of environmental activism or, uh, you know, you, you develop this relationship with nature and that sort of founds uh, a lot of students' uh, uh, involvement in, in, you know, environmental issues across the board or, or just trying to trying to make the world a better place. And this brings us to the second part of the episode, what to do now. Remember, OA was reinstated. The class of 2023 is going to do orientation adventure. But the craziness of that week left a mark. There were the petitions, there were the meetings with the deans, there were the viral posts, lots of viral posts. Many of them were from upset students but not just students upset with the administration. A lot of the frustration was geared at fellow students. So my name is Daniela Hinojosa Sada. I'm a senior at Pomona College. Um, I've been heavily uh, heavily involved with several organizations such as IDEAS, the UNDOC organization, and FLY, the first-gen low-income organization. Awesome, thank you. So to go back to that crazy week in December, you know, what, what was that reaction that you had when you saw that OA was going to be moved from first year to second year? Yeah, I felt the, uh, the same frustration that probably everybody else felt, uh, all the other currently existing students, alumni. It was confusion as to why there was no student input. And I think that was uh, why there was so much lash. Um, the reasons as to why they were moving away to second year um, stuff about uh, making sure that sophomores were able to socialize still, about um, first years coming back and being super tired. They didn't really make sense and they weren't coming from the students. So um, that's why I was also like frustrated along with everybody else. Totally. So then as the week kind of progresses and right, there's there becomes a big student pushback and the faculty meetings, the, you know, and, and kind of the, the things begin to develop. How, how did, if at all, did your thinking begin to develop as well? Um, so as things started to escalate, um, I, along with many of my, for instance, low-income peers, were beginning to feel like a little bit like alarmed. Like, why is there so much um, push to change this policy when there isn't this much push to change, for instance, uh, policy for off-campus therapy? Why is there no uh, campus-wide lash when there's... Um, a terrible injustice with regards to sexual assault. Um, like there was um, previously with the same dean, Dean uh, Hinkson, she had um, 
made this policy where there can no longer be blacklists against uh, students at parties who had been perpetrators of sexual assault um, for the express pur purpose of basically protecting Pomona and protecting the students so that Pomona couldn't get sued with disregard for protecting the safety of the student. So everybody was wondering, why is there this anger for this basically like recreational while important event? It's important for socializing and making friends and making those initial connections. Always was really important to me, but also it's really important to make sure that your fellow peers are getting access to the mental health resources that they need, that they feel safe when they're at parties, that they feel safe on campus and that they feel that their peers are going to support them to the same extent or more that they're you know, lashing against this OA policy. As you can tell, Daniela's thinking about the OA controversy is much broader than the single decision itself. And she's exactly right. There is a pattern of administrative decision-making and student response here in Claremont, which OA captured perfectly, but is part of a much broader and much more troubling overall trend. So I talked to Professor Sandoval, who helped explain what he sees as the relationship between OA and these larger campus dynamics. Sure. Uh, Tomas Summer Sandoval, I'm an associate professor of Chicano Latino Studies and History at Pomona College. My first level of concern is, is that we're getting rid of something that we know has some proven track record without any sense of what the replacement is, and more importantly, without any sense of what we're going to do to fill in in that first year experience, the the benefits of the program. And for me, the the two sort of overarching ones are that is one of those uh, really deep impact ways that we model very early on um, what our expectations for our community are. Right, that it's a multiracial grouping of students uh, who don't know each other and, and are diverse in, in every way, having to collaborate with each other and form some kind of community in, in this kind of intense way. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a good model for what we're hoping for, you know, starting that first day of the semester. Um, that, that kind of diversity is, in, is a two-way street too, right? Um, uh, I think everybody who's participating in, in OA, um, that, that is one of the benefits that, that they draw from it, um, being there with a diverse grouping of students that is not one of their own design and not one of their own making and choice. Um, and, and to me, those are important benefits of it. As somebody who's gone on OA in the past uh, as a faculty member, um, I knew how difficult it was for me, right? Somebody who didn't grow up doing a lot of outdoors things and, um, you know, being with a bunch of students who I didn't know, you know, and um, and having to step out of, of my comfort zones. And I recognize that, that, that a, a lot of that uh, uh, history and is, is sort of balled up into some of the negative response inside of our, our larger uh, student of color community with with OA, but but generally uh, I think OA is is something that's designed in a way to to handle that. It is it is um, for for first generation students of color. Um, it's not just them stepping out of their comfort zone, but um, the outdoors is is something that is seeped in privilege historically and that is often racialized as white. Uh, in, in that way, the outdoors is a, a mirror of what Pomona College is, 
right? And in that four-day experience, you're somebody who is coming back successfully. I mean, we don't lose anybody uh, on OA. And so, and so, you know, for, for the vast majority of us, it is a, a success at that level. And, and I think what that communicates to, to those students uh, is, is that they have the, the sort of social, intellectual, emotional wherewithal to, to face what they're going to have to face in the next four years, right? Not just over that four days. Um, to me, it's also a microcosm of that. One thing that I've noticed in the wake of the decision is that as some students have tried to voice their concern about the program or the methodology by which the program has been changed, a number of other students have been quick to point out that mobilization does not seem to happen equally here. That, that certain issues will engender a lot of support very quickly and a lot of mobilization very quickly, while others do not. And the disparity in what those issues are happens to fall along long-known and tired lines of privilege. To make that concrete, I know one major concern has been the email that the dean sent at the beginning of the year, making big modifications to mental health support at the colleges. Uh, with little mobilization after that, or uh, the emergency grant program, or changes to the funding for advocates and the work that they do around Title IX. Um, maybe campus mobilization is not something that you care to speak to, but um, if so, what do you think about those disparities? I mean, in the examples that you you mentioned, I'm only familiar tangentially with, with two of them. Sure. And sure. Um, I mean, in general, this is obviously something that uh, all students, 100% of our student body have gone through and participated in. And so there's a lot more knowledge and, and connection uh, to it. Um, and and that, that partly, you know, can explain the, the, that kind of response. Um, most political issues, most issues that uh, students or faculty uh, see uh, as, as uh, that they may be very passionate about, may be very invested in. Um, very few of those campus issues uh, have that sort of benefit as a starting point, right, where every single student has participated in it, knows what it is, and has a view on it. Right. Um, that's, 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 you know, probably making us student voice on this a little louder, a little bigger um, than, than other kinds of issues in, in recent memory. Um, you know, there have been political issues o over time where, where a lot of students do speak out. Um, uh, they, they tend to be ones where there's such an overriding investment in them, uh, either in the larger political context, like about immigration or, 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 or ch changes in curriculum, um, uh, that, 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 that you can get that kind of huge response as well. Um, but, but I mean, very often we're, we're talking about, uh, you know, something that's sort of a truism in how, our community works and creates change. It's 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 often small groups of people who care a lot about something um, that 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 get out there and and do that. Um, it doesn't mean that others don't uh, benefit from it, of course, and it doesn't mean that others don't necessarily have the same uh, stance at the end of the day, right? But but there's very few things that that such a critical mass of people uh, that we ever get to the, there being a critical mass of people who are. Involved in it and already have an opinion on it. Mm -hmm. um, 
I mean, I imagine inside of the student population that you've talked to, there's still students who are a little bit like, whatever, right? Like when it comes to this, right? Sure. Um, even after going through it, they're, they are neither strong lovers of OA or strong detractors of it. They're like, I'll take it or leave it kind of kind of thing, right? Certainly. In all honesty, I wasn't um, super invested in it. This is Gray Butler, Pomona Jr., for whom OA was cool, but not the life or death matter that it became for some. Just because like in my own experience with OA, it, it was like it was an important experience. And I feel like I was told that's kind of what made Pomona Pomona. But if I was being really honest, that entire week, I was just confused and a lot was going on. But as I was like, I didn't really care so much. But then when I like sat and thought about it, it my like later kind of reaction, I don't know if this is like yeah, going yeah, into yeah. another question, like I started to get like growing resentment because it was less about the decision and more about the like quick reaction to the decision. Yeah. Okay. Tell me, tell me, um, so Dean, uh, Avis is, is, or Hinkson is cutting like these things or like quest is getting low funding and just hearing all of these things, come up and knowing that I had been posting about things um, and the fact that there was not a comprehensive response and then to see OA within 24 hours TSL before they even wrote an article being like here's our pre-article to our article we're on this like it was like breaking news like we are investigating like like it was so fast and I couldn't help but feel like like, I guess the sentiment that I had from all these other things, you kind of have this habitual feeling of it doesn't matter. We're first gen low income students. We don't have power. And it kind of gives this idea that student change doesn't necessarily work because no one's paying attention. Here's Daniela again with a similar sentiment. A frustration that I felt was um, when this this kind of um, situation of like, why are we lashing so strongly against OA and not against uh you know, these other injustices on campus. Um, some people, including Sam, were very like, oh, you're right. Like, this is not a good thing. Like, how can we actually, what, what can we do to like make this better? Like, and then other people were saying like, well, you're, you know, you're just detracting from this cause. You're like hurting the movement and you're really not doing yourself any favors. When in reality, it's like, no, we're here to support you. Like, we also think that this this OA, like this, this policy change without student input is no good. It's just another example of like not taking student input and creating policy. Like we're 100% here for this. We also, um, and then, you know, making the statement about please help your low income students, please help your peers on campus. That's not going to detract from a movement with hundreds of students on it. Um, fortunately though, most of the students, I think were very like willing to listen and be like, okay, we need to do something to like make a campus wide, like, make everybody feel safe, make everybody feel like their voices are being heard and overall address the situation of not having students and faculty being addressed, having their opinions when there's these policy changes that are you know, affecting a lot of people. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that that's really well said, right? That it's it, it, almost across the board, it's better to have the attitude of like a yes and approach to organizing around different causes rather than this, you, you said that people kind of accuse you of detracting. I would be curious to hear a little bit more of what they said. I, 
I, I don't quite see how that makes any sense because I don't see organizing as a zero-sum game in which energy for one event necessarily has to take energy from another. But but I am curious what those critiques were, and I mean, yeah, how you felt about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, we I felt the same. A lot of people who were engaging with the same dialogue felt the same. Like like this person, these people are not quite understanding. Um, that like this is not again like you said a zero sum game like we're here to help you and you're here to help us and so when we actually started engaging with these conversations like there were people who um you know kind of were like after talking to them um and being and kind of making our point of like how this is not detracting how this is kind of in hopes of adding to this cause of you know um uh asking for student input whenever these these changes um fortunately most of the people were really receptive um but some people reacted by kind of saying like, okay, well in that case, like tell us how we can help you. Like, let me help you. That sort of like, like that sort of idea when like for a really long time, like students have been kind of saying like how people can help, you know, um, financially, like just by, th if they don't have the resources, like through their voice, you know, like how they're voicing their opinions about the OA policy change. Um, it's like not really, the responsibility of those students to like let you help them like we've been asking for help like we've been telling how to help so it just felt kind of um i don't know it just felt like the the people who had that kind of attitude were very um what's the word they were begrudgingly willing to help it didn't feel like they were feeling very like wholehearted about it gray explained a similar dynamic in particular to one topic changes in funding for mental health care on campus part of the issue, particularly with what was happening with the therapy stuff, is that it's a group of like overstressed, mentally ill folks. And part of the problem is the actual capacity to put in that work when we are not able to get the actual support that we need in order to be able to mobilize. And that's such a critical thing and that's such a critical area of where allies are really needed to be paying attention because the nature of being like mentally ill and not having access, like like this is access to things to be able to function. Um, and, and, and so just feeling that and feeling from a community um, that like, supposedly cares about a lot of these things it definitely felt like oh because it's affecting per, like particular communities on campus like particularly privileged communities on campus the resources are there the response is there and it's and my frustration was less that people took action with OA and more with the just silence or just like not being concerned because it doesn't directly affect them I could understand this frustration we've all probably felt the tension between different groups on campus. And it can take so many different forms. Ignorance is an ever-present hurdle. Many conversations happen in closed Facebook groups or self-selecting clubs. I think it's worth noting, the place where these OA discussions first surfaced, probably the most cross-cutting forum in all of Claremont, is Meme Queens of the Five Cs, the Facebook meme group. Beyond that... Oftentimes, it takes the form of distrust. Whoever I'm talking to, I don't believe that they're really going to listen to what I have to say. Often, there's too much presupposition. 
I assume that you've already made an assumption about me and it's just not going to work. And sometimes, oftentimes actually, I think it's even simpler. A simple fear of screwing it up. I asked Daniela if this rang true to her. I think, I think that there are a number of people, and I don't even think it's in terms of just the dynamic of, of assisting marginalized groups. I think it's the dynamic between pretty much all groups and even between individuals on this campus, which is a, a fear of doing something wrong, that, that one's action whether it be support or voice or, or in any kind of, you know, even in class, you know, just contributing to class, that, that doing it wrong is such a kind of ever-present mm-hmm. kind of thing in the back of your mind that it, this, sometimes the safer call yeah. is to just not get involved at all. Mm-hmm. Do, is that a dynamic that you've ever experienced or that, that, that rings true to you? And if so or if not, uh, you know, what does it make you think of? Yeah, so that's a sentiment I hear expressed very, very often, especially um, when you get kind of like, uh, especially when you get first years coming in who are kind of learning how to voice their opinions for the first time. There's this idea of, okay, if I say something wrong, the the SJWs, the social justice warriors are going to shut me down. Like I will like be blacklisted. Like it's going to be on my permanent record forever when that's not true. You know, Um, I've like met lots of people who, you know, who said some shady things during the first year. I've said shady things during my first year, but the important thing is to grow from that. Like if you acknowledge that you did that, you hurted people, you hurt people, you grow from that. Like you learn what you did wrong. You apologize. Honestly, it's fine. Like it's, it's more, I think there's a fear more of owning up to what you did wrong, um, to, to kind of like apologize and acknowledge that you did something that could have potentially been hurtful. Like again, this idea of impact versus intent, that's what's important. Um, nobody's going to hate you if you say something wrong. Like every, you know, like everybody comes in with misconceptions, preconceptions, like nobody, not everybody has accesses, access to this, like, you know, lexicon of like being politically correct, like that in of itself requires a sort of privilege. You have to come from a certain kind of environment. Um, You have to come from perhaps a certain kind of wealth to, you know, know how to voice your thoughts without hurting people. And the most, um, I guess, financially reasonable way to do that is to, you know, voice those thoughts, have somebody come up to you for free and say, hey, you know, that hurt me. And then you say, I'm sorry. Like, I realized that hurt you. I'm going to move on. And then you just kind of like be conscious of that in the future. A lot of times you find that low income students, students of color, um, you know, they're making these same same mistakes as well. And even more because they didn't have the resources to kind of like be super like PC and you know it takes a lot of pain and suffering and struggling to talk about that they just kind of don't really announce it to the world that much I think so I really like urge people like if you know like talk talk to people about these things like staying silent is just kind of like not really going to contribute to growth if you make mistakes like it's this idea perpetual idea like if you make mistakes you're gonna grow like a mistake isn't gonna stay with you forever like you can move past it. You can, you know, become closer with the friends that you hurt. You don't even need to be closer to them, but you can just, you know, stay on respectful grounds with them.
Thank you to everyone who was willing to be interviewed for this episode. The decisions around OA have both affected a large number of people and have affected everyone in a number of different ways. Many views are still left unsaid, but such a comprehensive image could not have been made without your input. The music you heard on this episode include, in order, A Couple Acres Greener by Mipso, Ronald Gregory Erickson II by Starfucker, Sound and Color by the Alabama Shakes, Roll Tide Roll, and Memories of Nanjinji by Mark DeClive Lowe on his days old album, Heritage. And thanks to you for listening to another episode of Disco. As always, please reach out with questions, comments, or concerns. And keep an ear out for upcoming episodes. There's a lot more in the pipe headed your way very soon. <laughs>